Thought Bubble Audio. Hi, and welcome to Academy Rewind, the fortnightly podcast that takes a look at the Oscars from years past. I'm Tim, and with me, as always, is my man who one day wants to fly away. It's Palmer. How are you today? Tired. Tired? Tired. I just woke up. It's one it's... twelve in the afternoon. I know. It's so early. <laughs> There's a 3 o'clock in the morning? What? <laughs> um, so... Well, that's the time I'm usually about to go to sleep. I know, right. And then you're... That's and then and then usually you wake up at one, so you're getting four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, one. You're still getting ten hours of sleep. Like, well, I mean, lot. I don't sleep. I don't sleep straight through. Usually, what happens is I wake up at like six or seven, and I'm up for like an hour, and then I go back to sleep, and then I'm up again at like ten, and I'm I go back to sleep. Like it's just it's a it's a, lounge, really... it's a lounging schedule, is what it is. It really is. You're so lucky. We're, no, we are also lucky to talk about the 2002 Best Picture nominees for the Academy Awards. They are as follows. <laughs> they are as follows. Moulin Rouge, In the Bedroom, The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, Gosford Park, and A Beautiful Mind. Palmer, what won Best Picture? A Beautiful Mind. A Beautiful Mind won Best Picture. It sure did. So we will do that one last, but we're going to talk about what I think is Palmer's one of most famous uh, most famous loves of all time. And that is Moulin Rouge. Yes, you love uh, I this movie. Were, I thought you were going to say Lord of the Rings. No, I was no, gonna, no, no. I was going to angrily hang up Skype. No, <laughs> click that button. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, no, no. We'll talk about Moulin Rouge. You love this film. I thought we'd start on. A, I thought we'd start on a high note because it's a musical, <laughs> and gradually go down from there. Uh, no, I'm going to mix. I'm going to mix. It's a mix. It's a mixed bag in here. Um, directed by Baz Luhrmann. Um, written by Baz Luhrmann and Craig Pierce, starring Nicole Kidman, Ewan McGregor, John Leguizamo, Jim Broadbent, and Richard Roxborough. Nominated for Best Picture, Best Actress for Kidman, Cinematography, Editing, Makeup, and Sound. It won Best. Best art direction and best costumes. Story revolves around um, a man named Christian in a jukebox musical in which a poet, Christian, falls for a beautiful courtesan whom a jealous duke covets in 19th century Paris at the Moulin Rouge. Um, I remember when this film came out and it was talk the town. It was the it was many people's obsessions um, for a long, long time, and uh, I hadn't seen it in a while. We saw, I mean, we saw the um, before it went to Broadway. We saw it in Boston. We saw it on stage. Yeah. But I hadn't actually seen the movie right. for quite some time. And I for, I forgot how fun it is. Um you because know, the 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 show on stage took itself like it's it's a little like serious in a way that the um that uh, everything is so bombastic in the movie is designed that way. I didn't know I don't know if this is in your fun facts or not, but I guess Boz Lerman designed it based on Bollywood. I don't know if you you have ever come Uh he that. did. I don't I don't have that in my fun facts, but yeah, he did. Yeah, I did like they were they were in India and they went to they went to um they went to a movie and he was like can I make a western film like in the in the Bollywood style like I have no idea I don't know the let's say you don't know the language but you can still follow along because the emotions are turned up to 11 and oh. so you may not be able to um you may not if you don't understand what they're saying you at least know how they feel and so and can the camera and the emotion the music can it tell the story without you knowing the language and I 
I thought that was a really interesting experiment. It made me appreciate Moulin Rouge um, a little bit. Like, it made me appreciate it a little bit more. Um, because I, when I was watching it, I was like, it's like really, oh, I mean, it's Baz Luhrmann, but I mean, it's like, so you expect over the top, but it's like mm-hmm. really over the top, even for him. Um, and so knowing that made me appreciate what he was doing. Um, I find well, s- some of it is very good. I think the best part of it is the music. I don't, you know, like, uh, like I think the, the song selections, the, the cast are, you know, obviously, you know, professional, they know what they're doing. Uh, and it's, and it's good fun though. For some reason, I had a hard time connecting with it at, in my thirties, the way that I, I didn't 20 years ago. Um, Cause you hate love. No, that's not it. You're at sitting all. there I'm, going, Oh, why didn't the do win? No, he's terrible. He's a terrible, terrible person. But, um, though he has a great song. I love his, like a virgin. It's so fun. Um, <laughs> Though, however creepy and awful it is, like in the context of like what they're talking right. about and stuff, but um, but Richard Roxborough is great. He should be a, he's an Australian treasure, but he should be an American one as well. Um, but y- you tell me about your love of Moulin Rouge. Uh, well, let's let's get the uh, let's get the elephant in the room out of the way first. How this movie was not nominated for Best Director is one of like the most egregious oversights in Academy history, and I'm not just saying that as a person who loves this movie. I'm saying it as a person who just heard you go over the list of things that this movie was nominated for and then to say that all this happened without a director is insane because this is a completely different movie in the hands of anybody else. You know, I I completely agree. I don't think it works. I don't think the zaniness works without Lerman and especially knowing that like he, like his intention was to create a film so like large in scope emotionally that like he he's the driving force of that he's the one he's got to get the sets the costumes the music the actors all on board and pull that off and he does and so i agree like it's um it's a strange it's a strange absence from the list and this was the third in a series of movies that he did in similar like quick cut style Mm -hmm. and kind of at times over the topness that was strictly ballroom and then that was romeo and juliet and then there was this. Mm-hmm. And if you notice, like, there is a gradual progression from even Romeo and Juliet to this. Like, you get the quick cuts in Romeo and Juliet, you get the quick cuts even, like, dialed up to 10 here. And that was, that was, all, that was a thing that kind of turned some people off. Yeah, uh, I think I think it works for what the movie is doing, though. Yeah, it, like I yeah. was like, it, it was after a while. You're like, okay, I need like I, I need to take a breath. Like just I like <laughs> you know like Nicole Kidman. I can't breathe. Like, I, need to take, I need to take. I need to take. a You have tuberculosis. Yes, apparently I do. Um, uh, the, the you're right. The song selection is really good. I love the quick cuts because even if the movie's not not doing it visually, you get the you get the sense of it's going quick it's happening like the movie never feels dull or boring unlike you gosford park we'll get to you in a minute Um, but, and that aside, like, the cast, like, everyone in this cast is great. Richard Roxborough is, is great as the Duke. Jim Broadband as Ziggler. Uh, John Leguizamo as Toulouse-Lautrec. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. That's two Latruces that we've had. Um, yeah. Kind of in, in quick succession. Uh, back to back one. because it was the 40s. Correct. Right. Wow. Yeah. But it was, yeah. It was sort of. Well, no, we just 2012 in between. Um, so yeah, no one remembers back. that. Yeah, of course. Of course. I, I, I think everyone's trying. I, I think even McGregor does a great job at this, you know, the wide eyed earnestness. Um, I know that he won the part over um, Jake Gyllenhaal and Heath Ledger. And I would like. I'd yeah, that makes see, sense. I would love to see those versions. I would not the, love to see the Jake Gyllenhaal version. No, I I want to see the Heath Ledger one more. Um, but uh, yeah, I think he. I, I think would he too because I, we've seen we've seen uh, Heath Ledger sing. Correct. In um, oh my gosh, how to uh, not how to lose a guy in ten days. Um, ten things I hate about you. Right? Yeah. yeah so, is that really him singing close. on the? Stand? It's been so long since I've seen that. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So so I, I think every I think the whole I think the whole film is great. It's beautiful. It, it works great. I can understand why it doesn't why it doesn't take home all of its nominations. Like Kidman gets nominated, she's wonderful and everything, but because all everything is dialed up so high, there's not a lot of subtlety going on, and that's sometimes where the Academy looks for. It's like you know, like like how how much can we see your character thinking and um, and not saying? And there's not there's not really room for that in Moulin Rouge. No, but at the same time, because it's dialed up so much, there is there is a greater chance of coming off as hokey and cartoonish, and she never does. Like no, it takes doesn't. it takes just as much ability to rein in when you're going over the top than it does to be subtle. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I think she's the strongest. I think she's the strongest member of the cast here, uh, and she has the most range. Um, even if everybody, because everybody really is dialed up really high, and there's you know certainly menace to the Duke and 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 Ziggler to an extent, but they're all they all play in the world that's created for them. And Nicole Kidman sits a little, like you said, just she sits a little bit outside of it mm-hmm. um, because of her range. So, um, but I can't understand like where it won and where it didn't. But I agree with you about the direction. Like it, it takes it takes a lot to pull this together, and yeah. it's a weird oversight. It really is. Give me some fun facts on Moulin Rouge. <laughs> Come Up May was written by David Bearwald for Romeo and Juliet, but not used. In Moulin Rouge, it is newly written for the stage show by Christian. It is the only completely original song in the entire film. However, because it was written for another film, it was disqualified for the Oscars Best Song Award. I mean, that happens. dumb. I know. It happens quite frequently. I mean, remember um, uh, that happened with The Godfather. The Godfather's main theme was written for another film, so that that didn't get... Yeah, but wasn't it used in another film it was like the piece the the problem was like pieces of it were used already yeah this is it was never this is right and that's the thing it's like well how do you know it was for another song like how do you know it was for another movie it's not like there's uh there's lyrics in there that say you know leonardo dicaprio and clara danes right right it must have had to have been like it has to like there has to be some kind of criteria or it had to have passed through some kind of motion it's not like it was just sitting on somebody's piano in their house where they're like oh yeah i wrote this a couple years ago i'll just throw this in here maybe because it was already so closely attached to another picture that just didn't didn't get made like or um didn't get put into the film it counts Mm. but yeah i'm glad that you brought that up because i I, I wanted to mention it myself. Uh, yeah. Please continue with your facts. In the Like a Virgin number, Jim Broadbent's voice is dubbed by opera singer Anthony Way, mimicking Broadbent's own vocal performance. The floor was rubbed with Coca-Cola so the dancers wouldn't slip. 
This segment, Richard Roxborough's favorite experience from the production, took a week to film. That's great. And that floor must have been so sticky. That's yeah. gross. But it looks cool. It's nice. And full of ants, because that's how you get ants. <laughs> that's how you get ants. Do you want ants? Because that's how you get ants. <laughs> Before realizing that they had to narrow the scope to just the Moulin Rouge, Boz Lerman and Craig Pierce wrote scenes exploring the, the more of Paris's Mont- Montmartre neighborhood. Ex- Exercise from the final draft was a scene in which Christine and Satine and Toulouse-Lautrec go to the estate of the German aristocrat Count von Groovy and participate in an absinthe and opium-fueled orgy with Isadora Duncan, Sarah Bernhardt, and Oscar Wilde. Count von Groovy is a nickname that Lerman acquired while directing La Boheme at the Sydney Opera House in 1990. Well, okay, that's a lot to take in, and I'm <laughs> kind of glad that it didn't go in that direction. Although, it was real fun to have Oscar Wilde in this movie. Yeah. No, well, um, yeah. This, it, it seems like a scene that they need to add into the uh, Broadway show. Yes, that's that's what was missing from the Broadway show. Yes, of course. Of course. Uh, Alright, well, fun with Moulin Rouge. Let's go to something completely opposite. In, in the Bedroom, directed by Todd Field. In the Bedroom, written by Todd Field, Robert Festinger, based on the story Killings by Andre Dubus. 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 Dubus is on <laughs> Starring Tom Wilkinson, Sissy Spacek, um, Nick Stahl, Marissa Tomei, and William Mapothier. Is that how you say his name? Do you know? Mapothier? Yeah. yeah, okay. Um, nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor for Wilkinson, Best Actress for Spacek, um, Supporting Actress for Tomei, and Adapted Screenplay. This movie won no awards. Nothing. Nothing whatsoever. Why are you even here? Just kidding. Uh, I ask myself that question a lot. Anyway, this story is about a New England couple's college-age son who dates an older woman who has two small children and an unwelcome ex-husband. How much of a lie is that plot right there? We're going to spoil um in I mean, the be- we're going to spoil in the it's bedroom correct. here. It is correct. It's the first 40 minutes of the movie is that? Maybe 45? Uh, not even. Not even, right? So like it, and I I appreciate the the I appreciate them not spoiling anything within the plot synopsis right there, but we're going to spoil <laughs> it here now because the movie is really about that as the setup, but the Mercer May's ex-husband kills Nick Stahl, the boyfriend, and it's really about Wilkinson and Spacek kind of dealing with the, their loss and bereavement over their son who was shot and killed. And that's mm-hmm. like, and I, I wasn't expecting it. I was like, okay, here's this family drama and this whatever else, and all of a sudden there's like, he's dead. And I was like, oh no, Nick Stahl. Oh you, no, John Connor. I, actually, <laughs> the future my, is doomed. <laughs> my first, my first thought was actually, oh no, Sin City. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, I thought, I thought it, it almost hits and doesn't quite get there. And so, and, and I say that I'll tell you, I mean, Palmer knows obviously, and I can't remember if I've ever talked on the podcast before, but like my brother was murdered. He was shot and like murdered. So like, and so like having like watched my parents go through like, like this, a very similar bereavement process. And I'm like kind of watching these performances and I'm watching this movie and I'm like, this just doesn't feel like you're going hard enough like it, the some of it really works is like this scene where spacek is watching tv and wilkinson kind of like comes in and is really quiet and this and they kind of float through the house like ghost kind of thing and all of that kind of works and i found some of wilkinson's drive kind of 
of like towards the end of the film that really played well for me but none of it just seemed to go hard enough it just didn't it just didn't ring true for me and that's maybe personal maybe because that's personal experience so like how does that how did it work for you um i could definitely see that and i would you know just because you have personal experience and it doesn't match up to what to what yours was i could see where that disconnection is for me i also feel like it doesn't hit Mm -hmm. um and i will say that i liked the i liked the stuff up to the shooting and i like the stuff after they start addressing it yes it's the middle part where they kind of and it's fine like i understand like they're both grieving in their own way and they're they're becoming distant with each other like i get the point of the movie and i get what the movie's trying to do and trying to get you to see but it just feels like it's being done too subtly mm-hmm. and almost like at an iceberg pace until it just finally blows up yep, yep and that's when the movie gets good again like once the movie starts addressing it and not just lets these characters kind of simmer on their own without any real like nudge in any direction yep no I'm, you know yeah i'm i'm with you and i that's like some of the simmering that you're speaking of is like that's some of the stuff that just it it, it felt true and wasn't all at the same time and mm-hmm. uh and it, i think all of it everyone just like everyone did a like a good job um yeah i, I found I found um, Wilkinson to be um, I found Wilkinson to be particularly like hard hitting at times like some of it really worked for me he was consistent within his character um, yeah but it just it just didn't it's like a 3.5 out of 4 like it's like it's like so close to being there and it just like isn't there for me um, yeah that's no, not a 5 I, to be clear it's like a C plus yeah I, I kind of fully agree um, because that movie is this moment this movie does really good and Tom Wilkinson does a really good job in it. And like I was telling you when I saw it, like I I think Spacek and Wilkinson are playing their roles fine. The movie is just not giving them enough to do during that middle part. And that's where the movie ultimately fails is in that middle part. Mm-hmm. And it probably doesn't help that I watch this back-to-back with Moulin Rouge. And so you have a movie that's like, everything's big, spectacular, <laughs> spectacular, big, big, big. And then you, then you like turn on In the Bedroom, which barely takes place in a bedroom at all all by the yep. way yeah um, almost so, nothing in a bedroom no i did get the title by the like by the i had to like think about it after a while i'm like okay so like by the end of the movie the end scene of the movie is in the bedroom where they like have not resolved like spacek and wilkinson haven't really resolved but they've like this is where they're at now because of what the events of the movie and they make this silent agreement or whatever in the like in the bedroom and that's kind of like you know that's it that's the mm-hmm. end of the that's that's where comes from also i'm more interested in knowing the aftermath of this movie also that yes i would also <laughs> like to know that i'm like so you're just not gonna give me the like cool like you just yep yeah yeah yep. yeah like you... did they buy the store you know does does everybody buy the story does something happen these are these are the more interesting questions that i want to know like you could have cut out that that middle third you know narrowed it down to like six seven minutes in a montage or something and given me like 10 minutes more on the end yeah I think they were going for like what amounts to like a realistic, uh, a realistic revenge story. Like, what would this really look like? You know, because we've seen movies like 
with this where like the parents of you know or whatever avenge the their child or you know blah 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 and there's always like big shootouts and this and all whatever else and this is like how might this really go but, oh I agree but and I would like why... to know how the rest of it would also go yeah, yeah. because because that would be part of the realism like and that like once that starts kicking off in the movie like the movie gets good again you know it's that like I said if if you reworked that that middle part I think this movie does a lot better mm-hmm. yeah do you have any fun facts or at least just regular facts about this movie <laughs> are there facts at all during the first poker party that Matt attends one of the characters quotes a poem by William Blake one of Blake's most well-known poems is a poison tree in which the poems narrator describes his feelings of anger and hatred towards someone that has wronged him and eventually drives him to murder his enemy beneath a tree. This mirrors Matt's actions against Richard at the end of the film. The title refers to the rear compartment of a lobster trap known as the bedroom and the fact that it can only hold up to twice, hold up to two lobsters before they begin to turn on each other. Okay. A scene cut from the final version shows Ruth and Matt watching the film Barry Lyndon at the Strand Theater in Rockland, Maine on the night of their wedding anniversary. Ruth tells her son, Frank, it was the first time your father and I, it was the first film your father and I ever saw together. This was intended by director Todd Field as an homage to Stanley Kubrick, whom Field had worked with on Eyes Wide Shut. Uh, see, the problem with their marriage from the from the start is that they were watching Barry Lyndon, and yeah. that's, that's, that's where it all goes downhill. <laughs> all right, uh, The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, directed by Peter Jackson, written by Peter Jackson, Philip Boyens, Fran Walsh, based on the novel by J.R.R. Tolkien, starring Elijah Wood, Ian McKellen, Orlando Bloom, Sean Bean, Sean Astin, Kate Blanchett, Billy Boyd, Ian Holm, Christopher Lee, Dominic Monaghan, Viggo Mortensen, John Rice davies Liv Tyler, and Hugo Weaving. Nominated for Best Picture, Supporting Actor for McKellen, Director, Adapted Screenplay, Art Direction, Costumes, Editing, Original Song, and Sound. This movie won Best Cinematography, Best Makeup, Best Music, and Best Special Effects. Story revolves around a meek hobbit from the Shire and the eight companions set out on a journey to destroy the powerful One Ring and save Middle-earth from the Dark Lord Sauron, Part 1 of 3, to which we have already covered the other two. My feelings on The Lord of the Rings are well known across this podcast and across the internet. It is a masterpiece. Changed cinema forever. It, it really can't understate how important it is that a large scope fantasy film won Best Picture and won many other important awards on top of that. Um, I actually had forgotten that it had won more awards than just from Return of the King because, you know, it, it won, in total, it, it won 17 Academy Awards, 11 of them for Return of the King. They kind of like wrapped up everything. So I was surprised to see that it won cinematography, makeup, music, and effects just because I had kind of assumed that the Academy was like, oh, there's three of them. We'll just hang on till the end. But mm. um, so that that shocked me a bit. This one is my favorite of the three. Um, I, I just like the beginning. I just like the beginning of the story the most for, for some reason. Um, I think that I think that McKellen is strongest here also out of the three. I think his supporting actor nod is a is is a good choice. Kind of reminds me of um, Alec Guinness getting nominated for Star Wars um, in 77. You know, here's the, you know, here's the, the stage, here's the respected stage actor coming in and, and um, sweet and getting some sweet nods. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a classic. I mean, the cinematography award, um, you know, kind of like it's the, it's a lot of good camera work. It's doing a lot of stuff that they hadn't 
you haven't seen on film in 2000 in 2001 you know like now we kind of look at it and say like yeah that's a nice shot that's very good that's a nice transition stuff like that but there's a lot of sweeping camera movements like uh, on the on the bigotures and all that stuff that we you actually that was this was the first film to really do stuff like that and i think sometimes like especially the further back you go like we, we forget the influences that some movies had you know stuff like the massive software for like individual ai combat you know in the open like in the opening scenes and, and with the goblins and stuff like all that's brand new to film changed changed cinema you know the way that star wars did and jurassic park did that avatar did these movies changed the way that we watch movies um and so i just always think that's that part of film history is very cool um out of these three how like how which one do you hate the most and why this one this, this one, one ab- this absolutely like it is it is like i wouldn't even say it's like watching paint dry it's like watching dry paint dry <laughs> like like there's funny i'm gonna remember that one for later <laughs> there's moving at a snail's pace and then moving so slowly that you're not actually moving and the earth is just passing by you what moves faster and that's what this gosford park or in the bedroom oh in the bedroom easily <laughs> out of those three in the bedroom moves the fastest gosford park at least gives the illusion with people talking <laughs> with moving fast and this just feels like i'm going backwards like i'm standing stationary and the earth is just moving in its orbit and eventually i will be out in space because the earth will have passed me by and i'll be dead and it'll be because of this movie now how much of this like did you feel like because some of your hatred towards things is like a a small amount of trolling you know like oh tim likes this so i'm just going to beef up how much (laughs) i don't like this so i'm curious like like if i didn't if i was completely ambivalent to i've never liked these movies yeah okay that's that's kind of yeah no when i like when like i saw all three at midnight well that's back when midnight movies were a thing well no i i could three hour movies Oh, no, I could easily do it. Like, I did it all the time back in the day. But these, like like, like clockwork, I would fall asleep because there was just nothing going on. I don't think there's nothing going on. I think there's a lot going on. I just, you're, you just have not, a, you're just not interested you have in what's going on. four short people, one who's annoying, and you have a wizard who can't even wizard correctly. I, think, I would well, say, I mean, like, by your own pre-established rules, sure. Also, which one's the most, which Hobbit's the most annoying to you? Sam. What? Sam. What? Easily. What? No. Sam's he says everything one. in a whiny voice. Oh, that's what he does the entire movie. Okay. No. No. Sam's. Yeah. Sam's. No. The, like. Sam's like the hero of the. Sam's one of the heroes of no. the story. It goes. Sam is the most annoying. Then Frodo. Then the one I don't remember his name. It's definitely Mary. And then the. And then the singing one. That's Pippin. Yeah, I knew you'd like Pippin the most, though. Everyone loves because him. he sings. That's the only reason. Like, like he has the best part in all three movies when he sings in the last one, and that is the only reason why he he beats out any of them. You're crazy. Viggo Mortensen and Liv Tyler are like the best parts of these movies. They're not in it enough, and Mortensen should have easily been nominated over Ian McKellen. Uh, I don't agree that he should have been nominated over McKellen, but I do agree that he probably should have been nominated somewhere within here because there's a lot 
lot of we talked about early like subtle acting like how much you can see your character think and he does that really well across um this franchise he came in really late into the production Stuart Townsend yeah, was they had already started he was originally um cast and they decided he was a little too young looking wasn't rugged enough and so they got uh Mortensen who like basically hopped on a plane did it because his son was a fan of the books and was like dad you gotta like go and be in this movie and that's that's how you get him and then after finishing these movies he put that son up for adoption that's right no i do not believe so um i th- i mean i could i could, i know you don't like them so i won't bore you but i'm you know there's there's a lot to love in here well i mean the movies already did that okay well then i'll go on howard shore's score is masterful and here's my thesis why 40 pages get ready <laughs> so <laughs> i mean i mean i will say if i had to pick something that i liked out of these movies or this movie in particular it is the it is the music i like the overall soundtrack i liked enya's song at the end yeah, of this one it's the best out I, of the th- no the best? i think no, into the west yeah i was gonna say annie lennox's is the best but this one yeah annie close. lennox's is the best um i would say i liked all three songs in all three movies and even though i really like let it be it is probably my least favorite i like into the west and then i like Gollum's song more no and may, then... uh, may it be uh i think you confusing this with the beatles song ah yeah either way <laughs> the beatles are another overrated thing Ugh, why why do you why do you hate things that like are important to culture why is this <laughs> like it's just it just hurts me hurts me deep um no going back to the going back to the music i mean shore was a big fan shore was a fan of the books before being involved in the movie as well so a lot of you know like the like the parts of the chorus when they're singing they're singing in they're singing in elvish or in other languages and they're using text from the book um so it's all like everything is kind of insulated within the world so even if you you're you're just watching passively you can enjoy it if you're not palmer and then but if you the further you dive into how much detail they they put into the film it gets even more rich and i think that's i think that's a, an accomplishment in of itself like how much can you how much can you put in a film to pay service to the original source material without like overstaying your um without overstaying your welcome or being too obvious about it you know like turning to the camera and be like we truly are you know the fellowship of the ring which they do but you know like gotta say you gotta say the, wow that was yeah you really backed yourself into yeah well you gotta one. you gotta say the title of the movie in all of them they say they they uh they do it in they do it in all three it was very of its time there are some things that are like very 90s early 2000s and you know like the way you know like um slow-mo cam all of a sudden you know like that kind of like sweeping slow-mo you know what i'm talking about like that was that's very that was very popular in its day but um anyway give me some fun facts on lord of the rings because uh, i'll be here all day if you don't stop me the cast often had to fly to remote shoot locations by helicopter sean bean was afraid of flying and would only do it when absolutely necessary when they were shooting the scenes of the fellowship crossing the snowy mountains he had spent two hours every morning climbing up from the base of the mountain to the set near the top already dressed as boromir the crew being flown up could see him from their helicopters no i think they did he did try to fly once like early and it just didn't work out but he was like no not doing this ever again so he got up at like four in the morning put on his costume and hiked up the mountain which is crazy that's why they killed him yeah no that's if anything that's why you keep him around longer (laughs) that guy that guy's committed (laughs) vigo mortensen did his own stunts he also insisted on using the on using only the real steel sword instead of a significant 
significantly lighter aluminum sword or a safer rubber sword, which were manufactured for battle scenes and stunts. Yep. He has it then the the final battle when the Urukai throws the dagger at him, Vigo actually deflects that. Like he's like, No, just throw the dagger at me, it's fine. I won't die. Don't worry about it. And the stun <laughs> man's like, Okay. It's like it's like the scene in um Robin Hood Men in Tights. I want you to fire an arrow directly at my eye. Straight at my no, straight <laughs> at my heart. Are you serious? Absolutely. No, I. Is it I? No, I thought yeah. it was heart. But hey, either way. Um, <laughs> All right. Goodbye. goodbye. Nice <laughs> knowing you. <laughs> uh, I just watched that Sir- last week, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Sir Christopher Lee played a similar role in the Star Wars prequels. Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones, in Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith, and in those movies, Count Dooku is a former Jedi who has turned to the dark side and became apprentice of Darth Sidious. That's true. I, I, I was kind of wondering where they were going with a similar part, and I was like, I, how? But I guess a former ally that turns to the, a, down a dark path is is true. Yeah. Um, Christopher Lee was also a huge fan of these of these books. He read it once a year, for like 40 yeah. years or something like, since they were published. Um, I'm pretty sure that you had to like it if you were British. I mean, it's, it's possible. Like, it's a law. It's a law. It's just, it's just like written down at the bottom. Like, yeah. just like, it, by the way, I love Lord of the Rings. Um, yeah. No, he um, he read it every year, and he actually met Tolkien, who told him that if they ever made, um, if they ever made Lord of the live action Lord of the Rings, then Christopher that Lee he was his, pl- he was his pick for Gandalf. Yeah, Frodo oh. for, for Frodo. He was his pick for Gandalf. And when Christopher Lee met Ian McKellen, like he was like, you know, Tolkien told me he wanted me to play Gandalf, and then he just walked away. It's like, hello to you too, Sir Lee. Hello <laughs> to you too. Um, there's also a scene. I think it was in the third one where Christopher Lee was like, oh, the, it's it's his death scene from the third one that's only in the extended edition. But he's like, so just imagine, Peter Jackson was like, so just imagine like the sound and feeling of someone stabbing like somebody in the back. And Christopher Lee was like, I don't have to imagine. And again, just walked away because he was part of um, Churchill's um, ministry of un, um, ungenerally warfare, like his like secret, like super secret elite like spies during World War Two. Oh, like, I thought I thought he was referencing Peter Jackson not casting a mission. Oh no, at, he was like literally, you know, he was literally like, no, I know exactly what it feels like to get stabbed in the back and what that sounds like. Thanks. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a man, Christopher Lee, so great. Um, well, yeah, that's Lord of the Rings. Let's go on to your favorite film of all time, Gosford Park, directed by Robert Altman, written by Julian Fellows, based on the idea by Robert Altman and Bob Babelbin. Balaban. Balaban. There it is. Balaban. Baklavak. Baklavak. Starring Maggie Smith, Ryan Philip Philippi? It's always Philippi, right? Philippi. Yeah, Philippi. Michael Gambon, Christian Scott Thomas, Charles Dance, Tom Hollander, Jeremy Northam, Bob Balaban, Stephen Fry, Clive Owen, Emily Watson, Derek Jacoby, and Helen Mirren. Nominated for Best Picture, Supporting Actress for Mirren, Supporting Actress for Smith, Director, Art Direction, and Costumes. This movie won Original Screenplay. Set in the 1930s, this movie brings a group of pretentious, rich, and famous together for a weekend of relaxation at a hunting resort. But when a murder occurs, each one of these interesting characters becomes a subject. How good does that sound? And how not good is this movie? Like, interesting is not the word I would choose for these characters. Yeah, so this is um, I was I I wanted I was very much looking forward to watching this because I um, I'm a huge Downton Abbey fan. I, I love Downton Abbey. Bo- my wife and I both do. And I was like, Julian Fellows, this was supposed this is like what started Downton Abbey because Downton Abbey was originally supposed to be a spinoff of Gosford Park. And so I was like, all 
down to watch this. I was so excited. I was like, it's going to be Downton Abbey, but a murder mystery. But no, it's actually like the worst people in the universe. It's like Downton Abbey without any of the happiness or any of the joy. Without any of the Marys. Or any Marys or anything. It's just like, or Carson's or nothing. It's just like everyone's miserable. Everyone hates everyone. And like, and like everyone should die. Like that's like, that's the tone of Gosford Park. And I think that it's just so overstuffed with characters that you're just like, who, like, who are you? you Why are you a thing? Who are you connected to? Yes. Like it has so many characters that might be good, that might be interesting, but you don't get to spend enough time with any of them to learn anything. So so you end up having zero emotional connection to everyone. This is why like something like Gosford, uh, this is why something like Downton Abbey is better because you get to spend time. This is so the fact that this kind of breeds Downton Abbey, and th- I would say Downton Abbey, aside, although you could say there's a murder mystery in the first season. Um, aside from that, like th- like Downton Abbey is Gosford Park 2.0 because they were able to fix all the problems from this in Downton Abbey. Correct. All the characters have time to breathe and become their own people. You get to learn why you should dislike them or why you should like them. And I think and part, so, of that, part of that's format, right? You're talking television versus a two-hour right. film. Right, yeah, no. Movie was not a film, was not a good vehicle for this kind of story. No, it's just, it's too stuffed because it, you're playing with upstairs, downstairs. And, yeah. and so, like, you, there's the entire cast of the downstairs and the upstairs, plus all the visiting people and their downstairs people and their upstairs people. And it's just, it was just too much. And I just, I mean, I'm lucky that I knew a lot of the cast because I guess ended up just like, oh, good, Helen Mirren's talking. Oh, good, Clive Owen's talking. Oh, there's Derek Jacoby. And right. Like, that was the really the only way that, like, that was the only way that I could, like, function in this movie. Yeah, no, because, and you're right, because it's hard to, it's hard to remember names and faces because you're not given enough to go with. And I was really surprised that it ended up being Harry Potter that killed Michael Gambon. Right? He was like, this is for all the stuff you're going to make me go through in Harry Potter. Um... <laughs> This is, yeah. Um, I, um, I, um, I was, I thought that, I mean, the cast is great. I mean, they're, they're obviously, they're well-trained. Even people who have like three, like Derek Jacoby, amazing Shakespearean actor in tons of stuff. And he's just like, I've got my three lines, you know, like, yeah, no, all right. But then I, but I have to watch Ryan Phillippe like over and over and over again. And when he came out with his Scottish accent, I was like, what is happening? This is, this (laughs) is nonsense. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so at least, um, at least that is, uh, um. At least we knew that, like, that ended up being fake because I just saw through that right away. (laughs) Yes, we all knew Ryan Phillippe was not Scottish. Nope. No, he sure wasn't. Actually, the casting of Ryan Phillippe, who's a fine actor, he's not, like, terrible or anything. I just, like, but it it felt like stunt casting where it was, like, and, like, here's this, here's this amazing cast and Ryan Phillippe. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, young kids. Come to see this dry British movie. Kind. 
kind of that's kind of what it is and um yeah i was i've so rarely been like so let down by a film because i thought it had so much going for it premise was great cast was great um the the screenwriter was was awesome like it looked it looked beautiful and then you just like and then robert altman just came in and did whatever he does and i just was not a fan yeah it was unfortunate it was it was definitely a letdown for sure yep yeah yeah wasn't a fan but give me some facts by her own admission dame Kristen scott thomas was famously difficult on set while working on this movie in an interview with the british newspaper in 2005 she said that when i did gosford park with robert altman apparently i was a complete nightmare i was very imperious and completely foul and horrible and i had no idea i was doing it at all actually that's not entirely true i did wonder why people were giving me sideways looks and there would be this odd hush whenever i walked into a room the only explanation i could come up with was that i was half in character the whole time i was playing this woman who was difficult and so i became difficult but i did apologize to everyone afterward that seems like i didn't realize that i was being obnoxious like (laughs) all right okay there is no animal rights tag in the closing credits of this movie the shooting scene was filmed with real birds and they were shot <laughs> well i mean they i mean it is a sport so it's fine but that's at least they were going for authenticity there was a real movie called charlie chan in london and it was a mystery set in an english manor house while it featured alan mulberry and ray millman it was produced by john stone not morris weissman a fictional character <laughs> okay all right well that was fun it was a fun fun fact to end that that trivia facts thank you you're welcome a beautiful mind directed by ron howard written by akiva goldsman based on the non-fiction book by sylvia nassar starring russell crowe jennifer Connolly, ed harris paul bettany christopher Plummer, adam goldberg josh lucas anthony rapp and judd hirsch nominated for actor for crow editing makeup and music this movie won best picture supporting actress for Connolly, director and adapted screenplay the story revolves around john nash a brilliant but asocial mathematician who accepts secret work in cryptology from the u.s government and is life takes a turn for the nightmarish uh, it's based on true story john nash was a real person i actually read the book um that it's based on i don't know why um because it was interesting i hadn't seen this film in a very long time i remember loving it uh when i saw it watching it again it doesn't hit as hard as it like unless like once you know no spoilers for a beautiful mind once you know that it's all in his head it's not as inter- it's it's not as interesting mm-hmm. it's just like it, it loses all of its it loses all of its panache like and so then it's it's just like then it's just a movie like it's well acted um i always enjoy russell crowe playing an early 20s something even though he's clearly not you know moving all the way up through his whole life um classic oscar winning style you know play 60 years in a two-hour movie go 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 we'll give you bangs for when you're young and not bangs for when you're older um so it's all good cast is good everybody's good music everything's just good but i wasn't i wasn't taken with it the way that i i was the last I, the last I saw it, and I think the reason for that is this isn't just a movie. This is this is for more. You know, it, it it's kind of a joke, but it's like the based on a story moniker. The fact that the fact that this interesting stuff happened to 
a real life person makes it ten times more interesting than just being a fictional character. Mm-hmm. And then when you find out that it's just schizophrenia and he and none of this actually, well, none of the stuff he thought was happening is happening, mm-hmm. it does take a lot away. Because other than that, they don't really do a good job of of giving us a reason why this person is significant. No, it's true. They don't. It it, it really focuses in like it focuses in on the cryptology stuff that ends up not being real and so like I don't like why should you care about besides him being a person like what ha- what is John Nash to the field of mathematics um, right I mean and they like everything around him keeps talking about like all the stuff he's done and that and you never see any of that because this movie at time is just focused on the stuff that's in his head correct and and that's where on repeat viewings it kind of loses its charm but I think that it's a very good vehicle for Jennifer Connelly to do a lot of like really strong supportive acting on her end because she's always in the real world right and so um, you know we said a couple times on the podcast like you can see her thinking like you know like what you know where is she at different stages in her life and uh, that I found that I found very good Um, but uh, it's it's usually listed as one of Ron Howard's best and best uh, yeah and I just I don't think that's I just don't think that's true I think it's it's very it's very well made and I think that Howard I I get why he's nominated and wins best director because he does trick the audience really well when you don't know that it's all in his head um like that that occurs I don't know if that's his organically well I mean you he has to decide you know and or at least approve like this is how we're going to shoot this is how we're going to shoot this this and this and this like how like the script weaves in people and where they are and who sees them and how they interact with them and not and stuff like that like that is really tricky um to make it seem like his roommate and the guy from the fbi or whatever like all of that or the cia or whatever like that's that they're all real um but it just uh it just doesn't hit as well and i think you're right because like it doesn't give you a reason apart from him like conquering his schizophrenia without medication you know and like like him like being able to discern what's real and what's not at different like by the by the end of his life there's i don't know why he's in like his personal stuff is important but i don't know why he's important to like to other part like to his field or right you know because i'm sure there are other people in the world that don't get books written about them or movies made about them that have you know might have similar stories and i just don't know what makes him tick even further but right and that's the problem with the movie because he is an important person in mathematics yeah fields medal winner i'm sure you know uh i don't think he did win it oh because i think they i think they mentioned about him not winning it okay so um, i don't know but he is very important in mathematics and but this movie never does a good job telling you why <clears throat> i will say that if you take away the it's based on a true person mm-hmm. from the movie and this is just a movie about a person who has schizophrenia who you know thinks all this is happening the movie's good and it's interesting and it's fine and even but i still think it would i still think it would not do as good on repeat viewing because it really depends on you believing all of this is happening. Correct. And I don't think that the part of me says that like a movie doesn't have to be good on repeat viewings to be worthy of 
best picture, you know, because like, but because the whole movie kind of hinges upon the twist, like there's not a lot going for it outside of that. Like that's yeah. where it kind of falls apart because it's, it's some movies have problem. a good twist, but the rest of it is still so good around it that the twist is just a good part of the rest of the film. It's the, it's the usual suspects problem. Yeah. Once you know movie, the ending, a the movie I've suspects. never seen and I don't know the ending. Don't spoil it for me. I'm so I'm trying to see how long I can go. <laughs> <laughs> well then. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, once you know, once you know that the usual suspects yeah. that it didn't or, actually happen or, and it's or, all in the guy's head because he has schizophrenia. Sure. Okay. Okay. Or it's like Fight Club. Like, There's another, uh, another, yeah. a fine example. You know, like once you know what's up, the rest of it's still good. It just doesn't no, ever measure it's... up. It just doesn't, <laughs> it just doesn't measure up to what the, re like it doesn't, the twist is the most important and best part and not. It, right. I'm, it's essentially every shot. Shyamalan movie ever made? Um, yes and no. See, he, so that's actually a great way because, like, Signs, I think, is a gr is a great example of the twist being important, but it's n but the rest of the movie is also great, even though you know the resolution. But like, The Sixth Sense is a movie that hinges completely upon um, it hinges completely upon whether the whether you you know what's happening or not. I would say that I would say that Signs is the less twisty. Of of his twists. Maybe that's why I think the rest because of the Because the aliens are actually real, and mm. the only twist is really just, like, his dying wife suddenly became a prophet. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Or that she just, like, yeah, just, like, how everything can converge in one singular moment, right? In, right. And, like, that's not really a twist. It's just more, like, just actually good writing. So, um, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, give me some fun facts on A Beautiful Mind. Okay. I can do that. John and Alicia Nash were killed in a car accident on May 23rd, 2015 when the driver of a taxi they were riding in lost control of the car and collided with a guardrail and a second car on the New Jersey Turnpike. The New York Times said that although the two drivers suffered only minor injuries, the Nashes were ejected from the cab and pronounced dead at the scene. John was 86, Alicia was 82. Jeez, I said fun facts, Palmer. Fun facts. Not devastating and now I have to go curl up in a ball facts. Although no. that, that, was really, that was really interesting though. I did not know yeah. that. And so sad. The scene towards the end of the film where John Nash contemplates drinking tea is based on a true event when Russell Crowe met the real John Nash. He spent 15 minutes contemplating whether to drink tea or coffee. Hmm. I get that, though. I understand that. I understand that dilemma. When the, While this film is inspired by the life of John Nash, there were elements from his life that were deliberately omitted. He was married twice, both to the same woman. In the past, he had several affairs with both men and women. He was arrested by the police by by scandal. He fathered in a child out of wedlock in his 20s. He believed that through his mental illness, the extraterrestrial spoke to him, giving him advanced knowledge of mean, by means of cosmic connection with them. He tried to renounce his American nationality uh, <clears throat> he tried to renounce his American nationality sometimes, in the belief that the U.S. government pursued him, and he made several numerous anti-Semitic comments during his period of extreme illness most of which equated Jews with world communism. See, that sounds like a better movie. Better story, yeah. yeah. 
because that to me is more of this like this person dealing with this illness correct yeah um not that like belittle the illness itself or anything but like that right that just is a little bit more interesting than like my college roommate wasn't real you know yeah. like that's that's bad that's okay you know what what are you gonna do live in live in watch another movie let's talk about where you can find us at twitter.com and uh gmail if you really feel up to emailing and nobody answering at academy rewind um and myself at timothy pg13 academy rewind.com patreon.com slash thoughtbubble audio audio to support all of our audio shows and thoughtbubbleaudio.com to check out all other places that um all of the places that all of our podcasts can be found including but not limited to uh itunes and spotify and overcast and all of these and all of these different things plus you can also rate and review us on itunes because those reviews from itunes get spread out and go into all of those other the podcasts internet. yes oh. they get yeah so they um other podcasts use the itunes reviews to kind of like for their algorithms so review us ah. on itunes so we show up in other places that would be uh that'd be fabulous let's do the 2002 rewindies let's do them Woo! all all category if this is your first time listening all categories um uh, from supporting actor all the way to best picture uh, can only come from the five movies nominated. Uh, don't forget, I added best director into uh, the lineup as I, I tend to add a new category every every season. So I'm running out though. I'm gonna like I guess we're gonna do original song next. Oh no! <laughs> um, even if there isn't one. So um, anyway, let's start with supporting actor. I'm gonna give to Ian McKellen for the Lord of the Rings. I am shaking my head in disgust at you. I know. I know. Yeah, go ahead. Where else is that? Where? Yeah, go ahead. Richard Roxborough, Moulin Rouge. Yeah, that's fine. You know what? I accept that because he's so good. Um, I think about him going. Uh, generally, I like it. Um, <laughs> like, like pretty much all the time. And I wish there. Like, I've tried to find a gif of it in the past, and it's really hard to get. But I just think it's just it's just wonderful when somebody says something to you. <laughs> generally, I like it. <laughs> and in the end, should someone die? <laughs> so exciting. Uh, supporting actress I give to Jennifer Connelly for Beautiful Mind. Uh, I would give it to, uh, yeah, Jennifer Connelly, Beautiful Mind. Okay. Uh, production design I give to Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. Uh, I give to Moulin Rouge. Okay. Costume design I give to Moulin Rouge. I also give to Moulin Rouge. Makeup and hairstyling to The Fellowship of the Ring. I give it to Gosford Park. Okay. Um, music I give to The Fellowship of the Ring. Uh, Moulin Rouge. For its use of the completely original oh. song, come what may. <laughs> no, for its use of already presented material in such new and fantastic ways. That's good. I know. I I try yeah. to avoid the already presented like already no, presented you don't, music because you've given it to that. And so there. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Five. Prove that. No, you have. I know. I have. Uh, I still was... remember where. <laughs> I know. It was <laughs> not that long ago because I made the case for the one that I picked for being original I know. and you were like yeah yeah i don't was it yankee doodle dandy probably i think it was yankee doodle dandy yeah you were like i'm gonna give it to yankee doodle dandy and i'm like it was not original at all I know. but that was just taking the songs and like this actually did something with the it's true their version of rocks moulin rouge's version of roxanne is my favorite version of roxanne oh yeah absolutely <laughs> superior it's it's so good um 
visual effects I give to Lord of the Rings. Gosford Park. What? There's nothing happening in there. There's no visual effects in that movie. Uh, people even, shooting guns. The bur- they were real, you said. They're not even visual <laughs> effects. They're literally just shooting a gun. Like, And the birds are actually falling out of the sky because they're real. It's not the, a visual effect. The dead body of Michael Gambon. No, that's just Michael Gambon. It's not even fake. He's just wow. Like, Michael, that's just hold, mean. Hold your stomach in. Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> no. I, Fine. Moulin Rouge. Fine. I accept that. I accept that more. <laughs> just because, like, there were no big special effects. Anyway, <laughs> beautiful mind. Because those people didn't really exist. No, they sure didn't. Um, <laughs> cinematography. I also give to Lord of the Rings: The Fellowship of the Ring. I also give it to Moulin Rouge: The Fellowship of Moulin Rouge. <laughs> Excellent editing. I give to Moulin Rouge. Yeah, Moulin. Great sound. I give to The Fellowship of the Ring. Sound I would give to Gosford Park. Okay, a lot of background clicks and clacks inside that inside the yeah. kitchen, right? Yeah. Um, best actor. Um, I'm going. I'm going. See, I'm, see. Here's the thing. I have Tom Wilkinson for In the Bedroom, but I don't like that choice. Like, <laughs> then why did you pick it? Because I liked it when I chose it, and I'm looking at it now. And also after a conversation, I'm like, I don't really like it. But also, it's the one that. Like I guess Russell Crowe, I guess. No, it's it's Russell Crowe. Yeah, okay. All right. I'll give it to Russell Crowe. What a guy. Yeah. Good, good old Russ. Um best actress to Nicole Kidman for Moulin Rouge. Nicole Kidman is the only correct answer. Okay. Um best writing I give to Gosford Park because the story No, cuz the story's <laughs> actually good and like the char- and what the characters say and do and act is all good. The direction is not good, but like what the story actually is and how it resolves and like like that's that was quality. I actually enjoyed that, but I just didn't like the movie that they made with it. Yeah, beautiful mind. Yeah, that was my other choice, but I go back to the I had them two written out, and I was I was just going to choose based on our conversation. But like because the movies around the twist, and plus with the fun fact knowing all the stuff about John Nash that they left out, I'm like, no, it's not that anymore. <laughs> Get out of here. A beautiful mind. Um, director Baz Luhrmann from Moulin Rouge. Baz Luhrmann from Moulin Rouge. Yep, I completely underrepresented. Baz Luhrmann. Best picture I give to Gosford Park. Moulin Rouge. No, just kidding. <laughs> no, no. Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. I was going to, I tried really hard not to go Fellowship of the Ring. That no, was you like, did. No, I really did. I was like, it's going to be, like, I, in my mind, I was like, it's either Moulin Rouge or Beautiful Mind because I think those are best. And I really, in my brain, remember I said, like, I'm going to not, like, for these three seasons, I was not just going to give right. everything and to Lord of the Rings. like I predicted. It turns out that that was the best choice for this year i did no, not do it wasn't that. i didn't do that for two towers i did not do that for the two towers i like it was i the best called of you these. a liar then and i've been proven right well too bad well here get a load of these lies up next on uh, academy rewind the 1992 best picture nominees are as follows jfk bugsy beauty and the beast the prince of tides and the silence of the lambs we're in for a treat my friends until next time because they're playing us off I have someone of the people to thank. Too bad. Bye. Bye.